Welcome as we continue to worship and as we march through our Advent season. Uh, one of the things that we always do during our Advent uh, celebrations is the lighting of the Advent candle. We've lit one candle. We have another one to light today. And so I'm going to invite Stacy and Stuart Woods, if you would, uh, to come and light our second Advent candle. Every single week as we light a different candle, we are marking time as we count down to when we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ. He has changed all of our lives. He brings joy into our world. And so as the second candle is lit, uh, we look forward to the full celebration that he brings to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is hard to wait sometimes. But I know you do things in our waiting that you would not do in any other way. And so, Lord, as we mark yet another week, as we move towards our Christmas Day celebration, Father, we ask that you would continue to help us, to guide us into the love and life that you bring to us. Lord, may your light shine the brightest into the world that we live in. Father, may we look to you for that light that dispels all darkness. Lord, thank you for what you bring to us this Advent season. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, you can be seated where you're at. Before the choir continues to lead us, we're going to continue our worship through giving. Uh, and so if you look to your left, you'll find some baskets and you can pass that down. If you're new to Double Oak or a visitor, please just let that basket pass. But uh, we love having an opportunity to honor the Lord with our tithes and offerings. Uh, and so once you pass those the end, our ushers and our deacons will come uh, and pick those up. Thank you. Peace. 
so grateful for the choir to lead us uh, and all the practice they put in to help lead us in worship. Can we honor these folks for helping lead us in worship today? Thank you. And thank you to all you guys. Thank you all. Thank you, Kelly. And listen, while these guys are exiting this stage, uh, I did want to give you guys just a quick update uh, on some things that you guys have been doing all year round. Uh, I, I say this often, but I have never seen a more generous church uh, than this one. You guys go out of your way to love and to serve. And look, that's part of our core values of charity. We want to pour the love that Christ has given to us out, not just on each other, but on the area around us and the world around us. And you guys do that all year long. And just to, to recap some of the things you guys have done this year. We sent out over a hundred people on short-term mission trips this year. A hundred of you who went in three different places all around the world, man, spreading the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I hope even more of you go next year, but that's an incredible number. Uh, we did two major serve days uh, at different points during the year where we partnered with six different local missions, and a lot of you guys were a part of that as well. So helping out with local mission partners right here in our area. We did a food drive uh, that helped uh, raise food money for the food insecure. We did backpacks uh, that are being distributed even now to kids on Native American reservations, helping them in their Christmas season. Look, some of you guys are not just helping us out with these special projects. You serve all the time with a lot of our local missions partners, either once a week, once a month, but you are spending even more of your time saying, hey, I don't just want to give money. I want to give my time as well. And you are faithful in doing so. Uh, this is in addition to what we do as a church, where 10% of our budget every year goes out the door to help both international, national, and local missionaries. The, the, the bulk of those are international. And if you were a part of Tom Cash's DOU class this year, you, you got reintroduced to all of those different mission partners we have that are literally all over the world spreading the gospel. And we support them on a monthly basis. Uh, you give faithfully to benevolence every time we do uh, our, um, our um, communions. Uh, and then Give United this year was just 
bonkers. You guys were amazing. It was the most generous we've ever seen y'all be. It was a massive success. It helped a ton of different people. And so look, when you add all of that up, uh, uh, monetary figures never give you the full tale. It can't tell the stories that, of all the people you've influenced and all the, the number of lives you've touched and all the different ways that you serve. But it also shows some of the scope of what you're doing. This year, this congregation gave out over $830,000 to local, national, and international missions all around. And that's something to be excited about. It really is. Man, we give praise to the Lord for what he is doing through this congregation. We honor him. And man, I honor you for all the, your generosity and what you're doing. And look, as a part of that, we told you last week, we're giving out uh, a total of $100,000 this month to, to different organizations. Uh, this week, we're, we're, we're supporting two different organizations uh, with $25,000 total. First uh, is Blanket Fort Hope. Uh, some of you may work with Blanket Fort Hope, but they are fighting uh, human trafficking right here in the Birmingham area. Uh, and while that's hard to think that that's happening, it really is. And they do a lot of incredible work trying to set people free from human trafficking. And then what they do of helping rehabilitate them and get them back on their feet and really just with counseling and nurturing and the gospel. Uh, they are actually building on a 73-acre uh, facility right here in Shelby County. And they have a home specifically designed uh, for minors who have been brought out of uh, human trafficking to help them. Uh, and so this week we're giving $12,500 to help them in that effort. Uh, as they build those buildings on that campus. In addition to that, uh, we are helping out the Brother Brian Mission. Last week, we helped them out with food uh, and some of the food needs they have, but they do a lot more than that. And we actually wanted to show you that this week. And Brian Cornelius, our administrators, are doing a great job uh, with all of our mission partners. He actually went to Brother Brian Mission. We want you to show you a little bit of what they're doing. Brother Brian Mission was started in 1940. It was named after James Alexander Bryan, uh, affectionately called Brother Brian. He wanted a place where they could come and stay, come and live, get off the street, have a hot shower, hot meal, uh, and then be able to hear about the love of Jesus, hear the gospel. I was living in a town south Alabama. Everything I tried to do to drive my life in the right direction was wrong. A little episode happened with a fellow who ended up hitting me over the back of the head after he threw my stuff out in the parking lot of an apartment. When I went to go get it, he hit me over the back of the head and he started to stomp me in the parking lot. And the outcome of all that was is there was nobody around and I didn't know if I was hurt bad enough, but I got up on my knees and the only thing I could do was just reach up and scream out for, oh God help me, oh Jesus Christ help me. I died up there as the old drug addict Matt. I came back to Birmingham as a reborn new creature. I think all people, but I think as men in particular, we really frame our identity often by our past mistakes and failures and also others' opinions. And so how do, I, how do I reject that from the past and then, and then find my new identity and my new sense of self and to walk in that new freedom and authority? Not only the space, but the men's lives that'll come through here, that which had been thrown away by the community, we see value in. I did not understand what freedom in Christ would mean to me, but now I totally get it because he got the chains of addiction off of me and made them completely evaporate and disappear. They are no longer even close to me or were they thrown in the street for somebody else to pick up? They disappeared. And so a lot of times in the church, we have to kind of strong arm each other to convince each other we're really sinful, we really are broken. And, and you kind of dispense with that because by the time you get to Brother Brian Mission, it's, it's pretty on glaring display that, that we've got a, a compelling need. So we can do away with that and let's just talk about the hope we can find to, in Christ to meet that need. So that's one of the things that I, I love. It's just really refreshing is that the, the mask that we have to wear can go away and we can just be transparent about what, what our level of brokenness is. And so 
uh, it, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good work, and we're excited about what the Lord is doing, and we're so grateful for you and your church uh, and the investment you've made in these lives and look forward to this ongoing strengthening partnership. Amen to that. Listen, the Lord is doing some incredible work there, the Brother Brian Mission. We're giving them an additional $12,500 to help them in those efforts, not just with helping with food needs, but helping in all of the rehabilitation needs that they do. And look, we actually have a seven-minute version of that video that shows you a whole lot more of what's going on there. We'll send you a text link to that this week. I encourage you to watch it so you can see the opportunities that you may have, not just financially, but just to volunteer to help folks at the Brother Brian Mission. I mean, it's a great organization we're proud to partner with and hope that you will as well. Uh, but now grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 is where we're going to be today uh, as we're continuing our Advent series called A Weary World Rejoices. Look, the goal of this series as we march toward Christmas is to find the joy that Jesus is trying to bring to us. And every week we're giving ourselves a reason for that joy from the coming of Jesus Christ. But let's just be honest, sometimes that's very hard to find. When we talk about having joy in the Christmas season or that Jesus Christ can bring joy this Christmas season, I realize that's kind of a, a tall order. Some of you might even say, Adam, I want there to be more joy in the Christmas season. I want to be rejoicing more. I just don't feel like I can. Between what's going on in my life or the things that are going on in the world, I just don't see how anybody can have joy. And look, I, I resonate with that. But Jesus Christ comes into our darkness to bring light. And we're going to see that in the Christmas passage here in John chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to what it says here. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's stop right there. As we begin John's gospel, we get his Christmas account. You might say, well, Adam, this doesn't sound like a Christmas story. We don't get any vignette, no scenes that we can add to our nativity scene that may be like the ones you have in your home or like we have out in the commons. Uh, we, we don't see shepherds or angels or anything like that, but this is absolutely a Christmas passage. John is talking to us about the coming of Jesus Christ into our world. But to do so, he's actually building a much bigger context for it. And as we dive in and see who this Jesus is, who is breaking into our reality, we see just how much it is changing us. So let's break down, especially these first few verses, and see what it's saying to us. Verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now those first three words, right off the bat, are packed with meaning. 
He is here in chapter 1, verse 1, saying, in the beginning. Now, that right there ought to be a callback. You know what a callback is, right? Uh, you ever watched a movie where you see something happen early in the film, and then later on they say kind of the same thing, and it harkens back to that thing that happened earlier? Uh, maybe it's a catchphrase or something, but they say, if I say this thing, it's going to make everybody remember that thing from earlier in the film, earlier in their career, or maybe even from a previous movie. It's a callback. When John says in the beginning, in chapter 1, verse 1, it's a callback to a different chapter 1, verse 1. Anybody know what it is? It's Genesis. You may know this verse, first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So for John, when he's using these first three words, he is, he is making a context. He is telling us something. He says, listen, when Jesus Christ comes into the world, it is like a new creation. He is hearkening back to where God made everything. And when he literally exploded everything into existence for Jesus to come into our world, it is that big. It is that grand. It is that life transforming. And that's what we're counting down to. Listen, some of you have, have an Advent calendar in your home where you're counting down the days to, to Christmas or, or maybe a New Year's, right? You, you turn on the television, you're counting down the moments till New Year's. Imagine if you could have been there at a countdown to creation. Like if you could have been there with the angels and you knew God had said, hey, I'm about to create stuff. God is go into the nothing, will say something and create everything. And imagine if you were there just with the countdown, like, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing when you see all of existence come to be. Okay, well, that's Christmas. That's the magnitude of Christmas that you get in these very first words. Look at verse 2 and 3, though. Notice what he says here. It says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Here we learn something incredibly important. We learn of the pre-existence of Christ. That Jesus Christ existed before he was born on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, we, we know Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem, but that was not the starting point for Jesus Christ. Now that's hard for us to understand. In fact, the most often question I get, uh, often asked question I get from kids is this. They want to know who made God. Because everybody here has a birth date. Everybody here has a start date. We were conceived, we were born, but before that, we were not. We were not here. And so you might say, okay, well, Jesus Christ was conceived, he was born, is that where he began? And for Jesus, the answer is no. Jesus was here long before creation. In fact, he was here before creation. Why? Because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. He's a part of the Trinity. He is there at the beginning. All things are made through him. He pre-exists creation. You say, Adam, how can that be? How do I even understand that? Well, think of it this way. Think of it like a sunrise. I don't know when the last time you saw a sunrise was. You might be a night owl. Uh, but I imagine at some point in your life you have seen a sunrise. All right, well, if you've ever seen the sunrise, when we have a sunrise, the lights don't just come on like a light switch. Right? Before you actually see the sunrise, you actually see the faint glow of the light in the east. Things begin to brighten up. It goes from being completely dark to being kind of lit up. And then finally, you see the sun peek over the eastern horizon. Okay, that's what Jesus is doing here. 
In the Old Testament, you see the light of Christ before he gets here. You see kind of the light of him coming. But at Christmas, it is like the dawning of a new day. It is like Jesus Christ is now entering into our world. He was here beforehand. We could not see him fully, but now here he is in our midst. He is pre-existent. This is where we have to disagree with the Mormons and anybody else who say that Jesus is just a man. The Mormons say that God at some point was a man like us and he evolved into godhood. No, we don't believe that. Jesus Christ has always been here. He is pre-existent. He has always existed. This is what he tells us. But look at verse 4. It says, In him was life, and this life was the light of men. Now, this is the first mention of life in the Gospel of John, which kind of makes sense. We're only four verses in. Uh, But this is going to become a theme You're going to see this word all throughout the Gospel of John. 35 different times you see life mentioned. And specifically, eternal life shows up. But it's interesting how John describes this life from the very beginning. He uses the term light. When he talks about this life that Jesus is and that he's bringing, he says this life is the light of men. And that's important for us because when we think about life, we might think of it in different terms. Specifically, when we think about eternal life. When I say the word eternal life, we typically think of something. When I say eternal life, you think, we're going to try that one more time. When I say eternal life, you think heaven. Yeah, that's what we think of, right? We think of eternal life. Like after I die, I'm going to go have this eternal life. We think of it in terms of time, And you say, well, that might make sense because it's eternal. You got a time-ish word right there. But eternal life is not simply about having a long life. A long life is not actually always a good life. Vampires are imagined to be eternal, like they're they're immortal, but they don't seem very happy about it. You notice that? They got a long life, but they're not really happy. Look, if you have not a great life, having it just go on forever might not be a good thought to you. Eternal life, if it's just long, isn't enough. That's why this word light is important. When we talk about eternal life, we're not just talking about more quantity. We're talking about more quality. When Jesus Christ brings life, we are bringing his life. This is light. This is the life that is in God himself. The life that is in him before the creation of the world. The life that is in him without any sin whatsoever. The fullness of God's life, that's what he's bringing into the world. That is what he is bringing to us at Christmas. That is the joy that he is offering to us. It's not just more life. It is God's own life that he is ushering into reality and says, you can now taste this life. You can now experience this life. This is what he's bringing to us. But look at verse five, because this is very important. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Students, you guys just looked at this at D-Now, right? This is like the theme verse for D-Now. You guys studied this a little bit. When John talks about this whole conflict that's going to ensue, he he gives it in terms of light and darkness. But we need to be very clear here uh, because he is not talking dualism. He is not talking about some cosmic struggle between good and evil and who will win. You know, as if there's this, this thing that's happening, as if it's an equal balance. Where This is not Star Wars, where you need a balance in the force. 
This is kind of a, a, a popular concept these days. So, like, Adam, you need a little bit of both. You got to have light and dark, okay? You got to have good and bad. You just need to balance them in yourselves, man. Don't, don't consider yourself all good or all bad. You just need a little bit of both. No, that's not at all what John says. He says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The light's going to win. He's already won. And he says, darkness doesn't stand a chance. Now, it's, it's holding sway in this world right now. But make no mistake, the, dark, uh, the light is going to overcome the darkness. But let's look at that last word for a moment, that word overcome, because it's very interesting. If you read this verse in multiple translations, you will find a lot of different translations for that word overcome. Here in the ESV, it's going to say, uh, the light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. But if you read this in the NIV, it's going to say that the darkness has not understood it. Well, that's a little different. Read other translations and you'll find more translations. You'll find it where it says the darkness has not comprehended it. The darkness has not apprehended it. The darkness has not extinguished it. Uh, the dar darkness has not conquered it. You, you, get, you get all these different words. Why? What's going on here? How come they're coming up with seven different ways of saying this word? When the Greek, this is, is, you can see this happening. Uh, literally, this word in the Greek means to seize. All right? The darkness has not seized it. How does that make sense? Well, there's two senses in the Greek. On the one hand, you can seize something with your mind. That's where you get understand or comprehend. I can grasp something with my mind. I get it, right? I understand it. I grasp it. Okay, I, I get the grasp of that. Okay, that's, that's what you mean. So you get understand or comprehend. But it also means you can seize with your hand. I can grab onto something. This is where you get control or overpower or conquer. I can seize something and have mastery over that. And the word can mean either one in Greek. So the question is, which one does it mean here? And the answer is most likely both. Because this is something that John will do often. John loves to take big concepts and to cram them into small packages. He loves to use word plays. And it's kind of hard to see in the English, but you can see it a little bit more clearly in the Greek. He loves doing this. And so most likely, John actually intends both of these because you see both of these playing out in the Gospel of John. You will see that the darkness does not understand the Lord and the darkness has not overcome the Lord. Both of those things you will see played out in the Gospel of John. But now let's define our terms. What does John mean when he says light and darkness. All right, the light one is easy. The light is, we'll try that one more time. The light is Jesus. Okay, guys, look, anytime a pastor gives you something, 70% of the time, just say Jesus, okay? <laughs> you have a 70%, it's like C on the Scantron. Just say Jesus. Most of the time, you'll, you'll, you'll get that right, okay? All right, so this was the, I, the softball, I'm trying here. All right, look, the light is Jesus. He already said, listen, that's who the light is. He is the light. Okay, then what's the darkness? We might say, well, Adam, that's easy too. The darkness must be like, you know, evil forces, right? This is the demonic. This is, this is evil. This is sin. And that's kind of true, but not really. This darkness that John is talking about here is actually very specific, and it's actually a little bit hard for us to grasp, and we need to hear what Jesus has to say about it. So look at what Jesus will say in this very same gospel, two places. Here's John 8, verse 12. Notice what Jesus says. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
All right, it's interesting. He's the light. You see where John gets it now. It's coming right from the words of Jesus. If you're not with me, though, you're walking in darkness. Here's John chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus again, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Okay, so if you read both of these verses, we get a definition of the darkness. Darkness is life without Jesus Christ. That's darkness. Darkness is life without Jesus Christ. And when that becomes our definition, we have a problem because sometimes that looks very clear. I understand what that life is like, but other times that is harder to see. There is a darkness that is easy to see and there is a darkness that is hard to see and Jesus Christ is coming to overcome both. And look, I saw both types of that darkness on display this past week. Uh, I had an interesting week. Uh, I went on a special trip. I actually flew to Las Vegas to see my favorite band, U2, uh, play at a brand new venue. It was amazing. Um, I've been planning this trip for like a year and a half. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, most of y'all know I'm a big fan of you too. If it freaks you out that your pastor went to Las Vegas, I made sure to take some accountability. Uh, my uh, good friend and mentor, uh, my pastor over at Oak Mountain Presbyterian, Bob Flayhart, is also a U2 super fan. And so I said, hey man, let's go do this. Pastor's in Vegas. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, and so we went and had a good time, kept each other accountable and had some fun. Uh, and the, the show was awesome, but I'm not here to talk to you about the show, although I will happily geek out with you afterwards if you'd like to talk about it. Um, but on Wednesday, we had a really interesting experience. Um, so we had gotten there a day early to make sure we didn't miss the, the, the concert and the flights were fine, uh, but we had some time to kill. And so we were looking for something to do. Uh, and so I got up that morning, was looking around for different things, and I found something for us to do. Uh, there was an historical museum nearby, because that's how I go crazy in Vegas. I go to historical museums. All right, so uh, my wife has already made fun of me for that. So, um, uh, but I, I wanted to go see this museum, and he was game for it. So I said, hey, let's go. Uh, it was, uh, we were staying at a hotel about a about block and a half behind uh, the, the Las Vegas Strip, and it was about, Google Maps said it was about a mile, mile and a half walk. So I said, hey, let's walk. And so he's like, let's, let's do that. It's a good exercise. It's 10 in the morning. So we get up, and we start walking. First half mile was fine. We'd take a left and then a right. Uh, once we get about a mile in, we realize we are not in the best part of town anymore. Uh, in fact, we are not where we want to be at all. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit disconcerting. Uh, we're walking down and we realize now that there's bars on all the windows. Uh, there is trash on the streets. Uh, there's a street right here and it has been half finished. It's not even totally finished. It kind of got broken up and it's just been kind of left uh, in the midst of that kind of chaos. We hear out of a window over here, somebody is retching in their apartment. I don't know if they're drunk or hungover or both uh, or, 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 or they're just sick. Uh, or I, don't, I don't know if all of that is going on, but they're clearly not having a good day. That's not great. Uh, it's, just, it's just not a happy place to be. And we're a little bit nervous, but it's 10 in the morning and there's two of us. And so we figure, okay, let's just walk a little faster. But uh, it, the interesting thing was, is that as we're walking through this kind of bad part of town, I can see billion dollar buildings. I'm staring at billions of dollars that just a block and a half away, that money doesn't make it there. All the glitz and the glamour that's right there, a block and a half away, but it ain't here, just a couple streets over. And you can kind of see the cracks in the facade of what Vegas kind of puts up. 
But we shuttled on and we just kind of keep moving and say, hey, let's just move and get where we're going. And so we finally got to this museum and uh, I enjoyed it. It was great. Uh, learned a few things, which was awesome. But it got to be a little bit towards noon and we were finishing up and we tried to get out of the museum. And as we're trying to leave, the lady stops us at the front and says, hey, I can't let you leave. And I said, why? And she said, because there's an active shooter event going on. Uh, because what I didn't know was that this museum was on the campus of UNLV, uh, where a shooting happened this week. And that's one of those things that when somebody tells you, you don't really know what to do with. Hey, there's an active shooter thing. Does this thing happen often? Like, I, I was very confused, because it looks like a normal day. It's, it's noon. I'm in a, a, a museum, which is kind of surreal anyway. And I just, I didn't even know how to process what you're saying. It says, no, we all need to get in the back room right now. So they shuttled us and, and about 20 other people into a back gallery, which is where we stayed on lockdown for about two hours. And we're like everybody else trying to find news on the phone and trying to figure out what's going on. And it's kind of chaos and we don't understand. We're in lockdown with 30,000 UNLV students in the midst of it because a man decided to walk into a building and kill three professors. I don't know why he did that. He apparently had a grudge against some people, but the people he killed were not the people he had a grudge against, so apparently he just killed the first three professors he saw. Which means that three people went to work that day thinking it was a normal day and had their life ended and families destroyed and lives shattered and all these kids traumatized. We don't really fully understand why. And I'm sitting in my own lockdown kind of contemplating this whole thing. Uh, it was just hard to process. But after the fact, you begin to recognize, hey, the darkness is everywhere. And the darkness can happen to anyone at any time, at any place. And that's the world we live in. And where I was literally just a mile from where that occurred this week. Didn't know that was going to happen at 10 in the morning. Just... Walking through life. And for some of you, you say, Adam, see, that's my problem. And that's the darkness I can see. See, I want to have joy in the midst of Christmas, but I can't because of the darkness that's in this world. Because, Adam, I'm not dealing with a mass shooting, but I am dealing with, with, with a loss of a, a spouse or a, a loss of a marriage or a loss of a job or it's the, the chaos, it's the loss of a loved one. Adam, it's, a, it's the breakdown in my life. It's, a, it's some relational issue. It's a diagnosis. It's a loss of ability. It's, it's some darkness in this world that has shattered everything and it has paralyzed you with fear. Because you say, Adam, listen, I, 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 I can't live the life thinking that it's not going to happen to me. It can happen to me. It, it might happen to me. And here's the sad reality. That's true. That's true. It can happen to you, and you're not immune. None of us are. The darkness can and will touch us in multiple ways throughout our life. And some of you are thinking, man, I am so glad I came to this uplifting Christmas sermon. What are you talking about? You are a downer, man. I thought we were talking about joy a second ago. Yeah, we are. But the problem is for some of you, when you finally try to do this, you say, Adam, I'm trying to enter into the joy. But when you think about these things, fear just grips you. And the anxiety begins to overwhelm you. And you say, I'm trying, Adam, but I can't, I can't get there because of the fear of the brokenness of the things that are in this world. And that is why we need to look to Jesus Christ. Because look where Jesus comes. Jesus comes into our darkness. 
When Jesus Christ enters our reality, he's not coming in posh circumstances. If Jesus Christ was born today, he'd have been born on that back street. He would have been born in a mean estate. He would have been born in the midst of all of this chaos. Think about Jesus' early life. When Jesus is born, he is immediately hunted. Other children will die because people are after Jesus. He will have to flee from his home. He will spend the first years of his life as a refugee in a foreign country, in an unknown place as an unknown person. When he returns back to his homeland, He's going to have to work with his hands. He's still vulnerable. He's still living on the back street. He's not living in all the wealth and splendor of the world. No, he's living in the midst of poverty. And then even as he starts his ministry, he will be misunderstood until he'll finally be trumped up on false charges and murdered by the government. That's the life of Jesus. And that can actually be encouraging because when Jesus Christ comes into the world, he does not paper over your fears. He doesn't say, hey, there's nothing to worry about. Hey, it'll never happen to you. He says, no, that's why I am coming. And when I come, I don't just come at the end of the story. No, I come right into the middle of your darkness to be with you in it. I come right here in the midst of it. He has felt it. He has experienced it. And he says, I am going to be with you in the midst of this darkness. How can you find joy? We don't have to ignore our pain. We don't have to pretend it's not there. We don't have to assume it'll never happen to us. What we can do with open eyes is say, I have a God whose light has overcome the darkness. And that can bring you peace and comfort and joy when you know that Jesus Christ is here with you in the midst of the world's darkness. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. But I know a Savior who's already been here who has conquered the darkness and therefore that can give me joy even in the midst of all of these different things. But there's a second part of that, that darkness. That's the darkness that's easy to see. That's the darkness that we all agree is darkness. But then there's darkness that's harder to see. Let's look at John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and notice what he says here. Uh, this is right after uh, uh, the famous verse, John three sixteen, where we get the gospel. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, and this is the judgment. Light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, this is shocking because if you know the context, Jesus is here talking to a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus, who's a member of the Sanhedrin, he's a religious leader. This is a guy who memorizes the Bible for fun. He's teaching everybody else how to follow the Lord. That's his job. And Jesus looks at him and says, you love the darkness. How does that work? It would make sense if you see somebody just to kind of running off into sin, but, but how do you see that in Nicodemus? Because sometimes the darkness is a little bit harder to see. Sometimes the darkness doesn't look like darkness at all. You see, this is, this is the Las Vegas Strip. Look, when you go to the Las Vegas Strip, it is not dark. It is probably one of the brightest places I have ever been. There are more lights per capita in that place. I, I don't even know. They're everywhere. It is bright. It is brash. It is bold. You have spectacle everywhere. 
It is like a monument to, to human achievement. There's literally a, a pyramid. There's a Roman Colosseum. There's an Eiffel Tower and New York City all on one street. It's crazy. I saw gallery-sized Christmas decorations where everything was made of roses, and they do it every single day. I saw a, a whole, like, like a Venetian canal in the middle of a shopping mall that goes all the way through the whole thing. It is spectacle when you go there. And like I said, bold, brash, bright, but empty. Why do people go to Vegas? A lot of them go for sex, money, power, luxury, comfort, food, spectacle, thinking if I just have this and have it in large quantities, this will fill my soul. If I just have this and all the empty promises that it can give you, if I just had more of this, that's what would give me joy. And people chase it. And it always disappoints. Now, many of us will say, Adam, that's great and all, but I do not live on the Las Vegas Strip and don't plan to. Adam, that, that is not me, but, but let's not look down on all the people who are there or who live there. You see, yeah, but Adam, there's, there's no casinos up and down Highway 280. There is not, praise God. Think about the traffic then. <laughs> but I wonder if we do live on the Strip. Because think about what some of us do when it comes to Christmas. Man, if I can just wrap myself up in enough comfort and food, and songs, and traditions, and stuff, and presents, and possessions. If I just get enough of these, and I wrap them around me, that'll give me the joy of Christmas. And we're not heading to a casino, but we're doing the same kind of thing, and it will leave you empty. It can give you a momentary thrill. It can give you a momentary bit of happiness, but it cannot last because there is no life in this world. This world ultimately is darkness. Even when it doesn't look on the surface like darkness, it is darkness and it will never give you the life that you are looking for. But still you say, yeah, but Adam, it's not me. I don't do that. I hope it's not, but can I ask you a hard question? If we took Jesus out of your Christmas celebrations, let's say that for some reason we, were, we couldn't come and, and, and worship on Sunday mornings anymore. Surely something like that would never happen in our lifetime, right? But let's imagine you couldn't come here to worship on a Sunday morning. No Christmas Eve, no Sunday worship, but you still got all the presents and all the food and all the traditions and all the songs and all the other stuff. Would it meaningfully change your Christmas experience? And let's be honest, for some of us, the answer is no. Jesus is great. I'm glad he's a part of it. But it's all this stuff that we're looking to, to give us life. And it can't. And Jesus Christ is coming to say, listen, I have come into the world as light. But people love the darkness rather than the light. And they're not going to come into the light. Because if you come into the light, I would finally have to admit that all this stuff that I am chasing is not worth chasing. And it doesn't satisfy. And when you even traipse into sin and you're saying, I'm just seeking after the things of the world. If I come into the light, I have to be willing to repent and say, God, I was wrong. And I'm sorry. And I need help. Because there is no life here. I have given into the darkness. I wonder if for some of us today, we need to recognize that that's got a hold on us more than we would admit.
maybe the reason you're not experiencing lasting joy is because we're looking to all these other things instead of looking to the one who is light, who is life, who can say, I can give you a life far beyond the Christmas season. I can give you the light of life, eternal life, God-sized life, God-type life. I want to let you begin to taste that. Now you only find that in the person of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, Adam, that's where I am. What do I do? Finish out. Go back to the verses we read in verses 9 through 13. Let's read them one more time. Look at what he says here. John 1, 9 through 13. It says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Did you catch that? Everyone. The light is not just for a few. The the light is not just for the most holy. It's not just for the most accomplished. It's not for the smartest or the richest or the the prettiest or the most powerful or the most talented uh, or the most influential. He says, no, for all of us, no matter who you are, no matter how broken you feel, no matter how long you've been away, no matter what you're ashamed of, God is saying, I'm coming to you. I've come to you in this season. He gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own and his own people didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. God wants to give you the right to be a part of his family not just to know good things or try to be a good person. He literally wants to invite you into his own very life to share it with you for all of eternity, not just a long period of time, but the full richness of God's life he offers to you. And the question is, will you see that light? Will you put your trust in him? That word to, to believe in him, to receive him. It doesn't simply mean to say, yes, I agree, Jesus Christ came. Yes, Jesus died for my sins. No, it's a trust. Are you finally ready to stop trusting the things of the world and to start trusting Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, only you can bring life. You can forgive me of my sins. You can give me eternal life. And so I repent of these things and I surrender fully to you. That's how you find joy in Christmas and beyond. It's when we find the life that is in Christ himself. And what you will find is that life can overcome your darkness. Look, light and darkness are not the same thing. They're not. They're not equal. If there was a speck of darkness on this stage, you'd be hard-pressed to find it. If I said there's just one, where are you going to look? How are you going to find the the one speck of darkness? It's not easy to see. But if we black out this entire room and I turn one tiny pinprick of light on, you'll see it immediately. It dispels the darkness. Way more than darkness can dispel it. What if today we said, I want to see the light. I want the joy that comes in Jesus Christ. That's what he's offering to you. So do this one. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. We're going to close out in worship, and we're going to spend an extended time in worship here today. And look, I don't, I don't know where you find yourself, but, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, just ask yourself, where, where am I seeking the joy of the Christmas season this year? Because look, you might find yourself gripped by fear. 
You might be listening even today. You said, I can't even come in person. I'm so afraid of this world. I'm so afraid of the things that I have done. But if you are gripped with fear in a way that you just, it seems to overwhelm you, maybe today we turn again to the Lord and say, God, help me. I choose you. Look, our, our prayer room is open just like it is every week, and we're going to be spending an extended period of time. If you just need somebody to pray for you today, there are people back there right now, brothers and sisters, who would love the privilege of praying for you confidentially. Don't miss an opportunity for somebody to pray over you. If you find yourself gripped with fear, anxiety, that prevents you from experiencing any of the joy of the season, and let the Lord bring you some joy. Or maybe you just need to admit that you have been chasing the things of the world. They don't work. They don't satisfy. Or maybe today, too, you just need to repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I, 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 I followed the darkness. What I need is you. Man, have somebody pray for you, too. Share whatever you want to share, as little or as much as you want. Or maybe you want to come down to the altar. You can pray with me, too. Maybe you want to pray in your seat. But let's respond to the Lord today. I say, Jesus, I need your light. I am tired of being in the, the darkness, the semi-darkness, Lord. I need the full light of your splendor to shine on me. Thank you for the life that you bring. Thank you for bringing it to people like us who do not deserve it. There's not a person in this room, myself included, we do not deserve it. We are believers because Jesus Christ comes to save sinners. Amen. And we get to joyfully say, Though I am a sinner, Jesus Christ has forgiven me and adopted me into his family, and I can experience the light of life through him. And so, Heavenly Father, help us. As we worship in these moments through these next few songs, Lord, open up our eyes to see the light, to not fall for the trickery of the lights around us that can't give us full life. Instead, Father, could you help us to have your true life? Father, I pray for brothers and sisters who just have begun to give up on feeling that that can happen for them anymore. Can you today remind them that you come into our darkness, you understand, you've been here, you get it, and yes, you can overcome this darkness. And you will. Because you've already started. And there comes a day where you make it complete. And in the meantime, we can taste your joy. Would you bring that to all of us here today? Lord, we choose to worship you. We choose to honor you. We turn to you to see your light this morning. In your name we pray.